Christian leaders remind us that the purpose of prayer is not to bend God's will to ours, but rather for us to align our wills to God's. And yet, when you listen to Jesus' teachings and parables about prayer, he encourages his listeners to bring all their requests to God and to be persistent in their asking. At its elementary level, prayer is asking God for what we want or what in us is lacking, such as a cry of help, a personal petition of need, or seeking God's blessing for something. At its advanced level, prayer is asking God for what God wants. One is directed inward and considered personal and pietistic in its form. The other is directed outward and considered intercessory in its form. The first prayer says, help me, heal me, give me. The second prayer says, choose me, teach me, use me. Both levels of prayer are important because both are avenues that connect us to God and encourage our communication and fellowship with God. And yet, Oswald Chambers once remarked, the meaning of prayer is that we get hold of God, not necessarily the answer. That the purpose of prayer is that in and of itself, is our communication and communion and connection with God. Think of the two realms that we often refer to as heaven and earth. I think they reflect these two aspects of prayer. We think of heaven as God's realm where God's rule and God's reign and God's will is constant and supreme. We think of earth as the realm where we dwell and where the enemy still has influence Yet God's word has invaded this world to set things right. And we have come to believe that there is a change that is happening. And yet it's not complete. It's not fully realized. Therefore, we pray as Jesus taught us, thy kingdom come. It has come in Jesus. We're praying that it be more and more evident to others. And thy will be done here on earth, even as it is in heaven. May your rule be supreme here, Lord. This was the work of Jesus, to rescue God's people, to defeat evil, and to return as king of this world. When Jesus invited his disciples to pray the prayer he taught them, he was inviting them to pray for him. To complete this task. Have you ever thought of that? That the very prayer Jesus gave us to pray was to encourage him to fulfill what God had sent him to do. That in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, the whole world might turn from darkness to God's penetrating and protective light. 
Jesus also meant his prayer to be a way for his disciples to continue his work in this world as a means by which God might use them to carry out and accomplish his will. John Stott has said it this way, Every true prayer is a variation on this theme. Thy will be done. Our master taught us to say this in the pattern prayer that he gave us, but he added the supreme example when he prayed this prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. Another example of this outward-directed prayer is what we've commonly commonly referred to as the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. Although attributed to this 12th century Italian, since it embodies his spirit of simplicity and poverty, this prayer is entirely absent from his writings. I'm sorry to disappoint you. He didn't write the prayer. Um, Its first occurrence has been traced back to 1912, appearing in a French Catholic magazine called La Clochette. It then was heavily publicized during World Wars I and II. It would appear on a prayer card as as a prayer, and on the flip side was a portrait of St. Francis of Assisi. According to a church historian, the self-centered phrasing with its repetition of me and I is not typical of St. Francis. Similarly, the absence of referring to God and Jesus, whom St. Francis repeatedly pointed people to, is is inconsistent with his writings. However, there is this interesting similarities to one of Francis's closest companions to the second half of this prayer. This person known as Giles of Assisi wrote, Blessed is he who loves and does not therefore desire to be loved. Blessed is he who fears and does not therefore desire to be feared. Blessed is he who serves and does not therefore desire to be served. Blessed is he who behaves well toward others and does not desire that others behave well toward him. All because these are great things and the foolish do not rise to them. Francis of Assisi may not have written the words of the prayer attributed to him but he certainly lived them. The essence of this prayer communicates the heart of the gospel, which also had captured his heart. You know it well. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there's hatred, let me sow love. Where there's injury, pardon. Where there's doubt, faith. Where there's despair, hope. Where there's darkness, light. Where there's sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. Not so much to be understood as to understand. Not so much to be loved as to love. 
for it's in giving that we receive. It's in pardoning that we're pardoned. It is in dying that we awake to eternal life. St. Francis understood his mission on earth was to bring God's peace to others, to seek their perfect well-being, their healing, and their fullness of life. To his followers, he wrote this, We should not be quarrelsome or take part in disputed disputes with words or criticize others, but we should be gentle, peaceful, and unassuming, courteous and humble, speaking respectfully to everyone. During the violence-ridden crusades, Francis went to Egypt. There was a, there was a war going on, and there was a truce or a, um, what do they call it when there's an intermission in a war? Ceasefire. Thank you. Thank you. Good. Those of you that are sitting up front, we're right there on the edge of your seats. This is, this is why we encourage people to sit forward <laughs> to help the pastor. <laughs> During a ceasefire, he was given permission to have a dialogue with the sultan, the head of the Muslim forces. And it's said that it was a, a, a meeting in which a spirit of forgiveness, respect, and understanding prevailed. Imagine the courage of this man to go in the midst of a war and try to bring reconciliation. Francis, as many of you know, is the patron saint of animals because of his love and care for them and all of creation. Today's opening hymn could easily have been attributed to him as well. It, it resonates with, uh, with understanding the splendor of the sun and the beauty of the moon and all God's creatures. So many times I find that people that, who love animals don't necessarily like people as much. Have you ever noticed that? But that wasn't St. Francis. He gave as much care and attention to those who were wounded and suffered. Um, embracing them and washing their sores and caring for them. The living out of this prayer was not something Francis came by naturally, nor was it a radical conversion in a single moment. It developed in him over time through a series of prayers and reading of Scripture and then seeking to live it out. And that to me is encouraging because it, it doesn't mean that we will experience such an instant transformation, but it may be more gradual and progressive. In fact, as a youth, uh, St. Francis was immensely popular. He, he was the son of a, of a uh, cloth merchant, a very wealthy cloth merchant. In fact, he was given the name Francis because of his dad's love of the French and everything to do with France. He was away at the time in France when his son was born and his wife had named him something else and he came home and said, no, 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 no. 
St. Francis had a number of friends who gathered around him, and the description of the life they led was one addicted to vice and self-indulgence. He too, like his father, had become very successful as a merchant, and, and he even joined an army campaign because he thought by, by serving in a military campaign, he might receive even more glory and become more famous and popular. He was a man of, in his youth of great ambition. But he encountered a leper one day and saw the suffering in that man and his own humanity reflected in that man's face. And he was so moved, the man left after the encounter. St. Francis was so moved by it that he pursued the man and gave him everything that he had on, in his possession. You would think that might have flipped him and begun the transformation, but it was only one instance. Another time he's in a church and he has a revelation of Jesus speaking to him from the cross saying, repair my church. And he thought he was, it was literal, so he looked around and saw that the church he was in was, was deteriorating. He didn't realize it was the bigger church that Jesus was talking about. Have you ever noticed that, that we sometimes just go, oh, literally, he means do this. So, so St. Francis took his father's inventory, sold it, and then was going to use the money to rebuild the church himself if he had to. His father came to that region and, and petitioned the bishop who made St. Francis give it all back. And at that moment, St. Francis renounced his inheritance and became a hermit. And he began in his own way to find some means to rebuild that church, and he did. And over time, he began to preach. An itinerant preacher, a man who had no theological training who, had, who was not a priest, he was not under the tutelage of a priest. He just started to read Jesus' words and to live by them. And to encounter God's direction and leading through prayers. What does it mean for us to pray such a prayer? Or even the one that Jesus taught us to pray? What it means is that we sign on to do the work of God's kingdom. That we look around at the world with a sense of God's agenda and see the world with God's eyes or through God's eyes. That our lives become a channel for God's love to flow through rather than a reservoir of self-concern dammed up within us. You know what that feels like? It's all about me and my needs and what I'm going through. If we pray for the will of God to be made evident in this world or in someone's life, if, if it's an intercessory prayer for someone else, then we may be giving God, we may not be giving God direction in our prayers, but rather listening 
for God's direction? How might God use us to carry that prayer out? Where in the world might God want to use us or in someone's life to pray and then to release the results to God? Not to say, Lord, I know what that person needs and here's what you need to do for them. But to say, Lord, I want your will to be done in that person's life. Imagine praying that for your children. Are you ready for the answer? Well, I wanted you to love God, but where is it you're going again? As a missionary? You need support? In fact, I'm convinced there's no experience in all of life that is exhilarating and thrilling as saying yes to God and then being used by God in some way. Not necessarily the whole of your life, but, but in a given moment, to know that God used you through something you said, something you did, it is humbling and incredibly fulfilling at the same time. This is precisely why we encourage people to do short-term missions because what it does is it removes us from our realm of operating. When we're home, we, we set the agenda. We make out our schedule, we decide what our day's going to be like, and then we invite God to participate with us. Lord, here's my agenda today, here's what I'm going to be doing, and I'm pretty good, I got, I got these areas covered, but I could certainly use your help at about 3 o'clock this afternoon. When I meet with so-and-so, you know who it is. And so if you could be there, that would really help. I'd rather not be alone in that meeting. That's how we do it. We may not admit it, but that's how most of us think. But when you choose or sign up to do a short-term mission, you usually are crossing some kind of cultural boundary, which puts us in an uncomfortable situation to begin with, and we're vulnerable. And then we wake up and say, okay, the only reason I'm here, God, is because of you. I'm yours. What do you want to do with me today? You see the difference in the prayer? The openness for how you might be used in a given situation? And that is a very amazing place to be. And if you've ever noticed when people come back from a short-term mission trip, I had one one woman who had gone on a trip that I encouraged her and she was visited an orphanage in Russia and she came back and she said, what have you done to me? And, and I said, excuse me, I don't think I've done anything. I, I, was, I was the associate pastor and missions was one of the areas I worked in and so I had encouraged her to take this trip. She said, well, I've come back now and I'm miserable. I don't like my life. I don't like what I do. I just want to be back there. And in my wisdom and pastoral insight, I said to her, this too shall pass. No. <laughs> in essence, that's what I told her. I said, you know what's happened is, and I think this is the way most of us live. I said, think of your life like a stove. Your pilot light's been lit. But by doing a short-term mission and saying yes to God, the burner got turned all the way up. And it went, Phew. And now you've come back and no one else's burner is burning like that. They're all little pilot lights and you're going, what's wrong with you people? 
That's seriously, that's what she would say. I don't like this church. I don't like the people in it. We're, no one's serving God. And I went, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, dial it back a little bit, you know. Get back to a low. And then eventually it'll get back to a pilot. But let me tell you what's happened. You have been awakened to saying yes to God. And the next time someone speaks that way or you hear someone talk that way, yours is going to be turned on again. Now, I know it's a crazy way to live. You don't want to live on a pilot light all your life. But, but when we open ourselves up to be used by God, that's in essence what we're doing. We're opening that, that channel so that the flame can be fully lit and charged. When we pray to serve God and God's world, we're praying as Jesus prayed and as he acted. We are praying for the redemption of the world, for the radical defeat of evil, and for heaven and earth to be made one. Now, we believe that's already happening. It's in process. And so what we're going to do is not necessarily conquer evil in a given situation or or tell someone, yeah, heaven's already here, we're going to point to the reality of God in this world and God's presence because the world doesn't see it. They don't believe it. They don't believe in God's rule, but we live by it. We're trying to help them see that it's good, that it's right, and that it's happening. What we're in essence praying is for God to be at the center of our lives and not us. And some of the prayers we pray put us at that center and some, like this one, thy will be done, says, God, you be the center. Think of it. Jesus had just shared communion with his disciples and he told them that the bread represented his life, the, that the cup represented his life blood. And he says, I give this for you so that you may be made whole and alive to God and all that's good. With this, your sins are forgiven. And then that very night, he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and he tells his disciples, pray with me, don't give in to temptation. What do they do? They fall asleep. Now, if I had had four glasses of wine, which was part of the... the Seder meal, I think I would have fallen asleep too. It would have been very hard to stay awake. And yet, what does Jesus do? He's praying that he doesn't fall into temptation. He's saying, God, everything's possible for you. You can make this cup go away. I don't, you can do this another way. But, but Jesus said, not what I want. I'm here to serve your purpose and your agenda. That's the difference between Jesus and his humanity and us and ours. We don't say yes to God each and every time, but Jesus did. Perhaps as we grow and advance in prayer, we might say yes more frequently. So be it.